back in 1961, when women wore shirtwaist dresses and joined garden clubs and drove legions of children around in seatbeltless cars without giving it a second thought, back before anyone knew there would even be a 60s movement, much less one that its participants would spend the next 60 years chronicling, back when the big wars were over and the secret wars had just begun and people were starting to think fresh and believe everything was possible, the 30-year-old mother of Madeline Zott rose before dawn every morning and felt certain of just one thing. Her life was over. Hello, and welcome to Bestseller, where we read and rate every book topping the New York Times hardcover fiction list. 20 minutes with us, and you'll know whether to read it or re-gift it. I'm Barbara. And I'm Brian. Today we're reviewing Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus, number one on the March 26th, 2023 list. It's 11th week at number one, and the 44th week it has made the bestseller list since it was released April 5th, 2022. It's coming up on its one year anniversary. Yes. But before we get to today's chemistry lesson, what else is happening on the list? After 20 weeks on the list, The Boys from Biloxi by John Grisham is missing this week. And the debut novel by Anna Reyes Reyes, called The House in the Pines has fallen off the list after nine weeks. The Midnight Library by Matt Haig, released way back in August of 2020, is absent after an astounding 106 weeks on the list. It'll be back. Any new bestsellers this week? Well, quite a few. Maybe that's why the Midnight Library finally got pushed off. There's a new Danielle Steele called Worthy Opponents. That's at number two. A debut novel called Pineapple Street by Jenny Jackson, who is an executive editor at Alfred A. Knopf. Was it published by Knopf? Uh, No, by Pamela Dorman, a separate imprint, although both are owned by Penguin Random House. Also this week, another debut novel, Wayward, by Amelia Hart, an Australian lawyer who lives in London. I like lawyers who write fiction. Thank you for that. (laughs) You're welcome. Also this week, another new one, The London Seance Society by Sarah Penner. And finally, a new Star Wars Jedi novel called Battle Scars by Sam Meggs. It just has 187 ratings at Amazon, and 30% of them are one star. Ooh, so could be off the list by next week. We'll see. But let's talk about our number one, Lessons in Chemistry. What do we know about the author? Bonnie Garmus lives in London with her husband and their dog named 99. Okay. And they have two grown daughters. She has, she has rode competitively, a big theme in the book, and enjoys open water swimming. She's a 64-year-old debut novelist who grew up in Southern California, where the book is set. This is her third novel, but the first to find a publisher. She studied English literature at UC Santa Cruz and then worked as an editor for a scientific publisher right out of college. She wrote computer manuals for a while, but that didn't last long. Her boss saying that her manuals had a really sarcastic tone. (laughs) So she set up her own copywriting business in Seattle, specializing in technology and medicine. She has said that she started writing writing this book after a bad day at the office, coming out of a meeting where she was the only woman at the table, surrounded by men, and encountering what she referred to as, quote, garden variety misogyny. Mm. 
She was going to continue working at home, but suddenly felt this woman, Elizabeth Zott, was sitting with me at my table. And I literally heard her say, you think you've had a bad day? Listen to mine. That's from an interview with Alice O'Keefe at the bookseller. (laughs) So the character just started talking to her and and hence the book. So let's talk about the book. Lessons in Chemistry was published by Doubleday on April 5th, 2022. Garmus was represented by Felicity Blunt at Curtis Brown. In genre, it's relationship fiction, or you could call it humorous literary, literary fiction with a strong feminist theme or even historical fiction, since it's set in the late 50s, early 60s. The readership is about 90% female, judging from posted reviews, of which there are now over 122,000 on Amazon. That's a lot of reviews. Yeah. The book is 386 pages, the audiobook just under 12 hours, read by Miranda Rayson, who's done a lot of audiobooks and does a good job here, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I agree. There's also a Barnes & Noble exclusive edition. It's got nice blue edges on the paper and some extra material in the back. I've got a copy right here. It's festooned with stickers on the front. Uh, (laughs) Barnes & Noble exclusive edition. Barnes & Noble book of the year. $5 off Barnes & Noble. It's a nice edition. The store has been giving it its own table right by the entrance. Big stack on it with a sign calling it their book of the year 2022. What does that mean exactly? Well, I asked a manager because I didn't know. He said, it's their pick of a book they think you can confidently give to anyone, even if you don't know their tastes. Yeah, keep in mind, they pick the book of the year around the Christmas season. So they're thinking of gifting. Mm. This I'm not sure if it's actually true that um, you know you can give it to anybody regardless of their taste. But it's a nice idea when you're trying to find something for those white elephant parties. <laughs> I think it would be good for any kind of party. Yeah. There's already an Apple TV adaptation on the way starring Brie Larson from the great movie Room, Mm -hmm. which she won an Academy Award for, also starred in Captain Marvel, did not win any awards for that, I would imagine. Actually, she did win the MTV Best Fight Award. So the character that Brie Larson will be playing, Elizabeth Zott, is said in the novel over and over again to be tall, very tall, towering. Brie Larson is 5'7". And her love interest, Calvin, is repeatedly described in the book as physically unattractive with lots of detail about it, you know, thick, fleshy lips, etc. But the actor playing Calvin is Lewis Pullman, a good-looking guy. Hollywood can't help themselves. No. But, okay, let's... I'm looking forward to that series on (laughs) Apple TV. Let's summarize the story. Yeah, so it's about Elizabeth Zott, a research chemist working in California in the 1950s and early 60s. The story begins with Elizabeth storming into the office of a local television producer, Walter Pine, because Walter's daughter has been stealing lunches from Elizabeth's daughter, Madeline. Elizabeth has such a presence, tall, beautiful, confident, and well-spoken, that in the course of their discussion, Walter offers her a job hosting a daily cooking show. She accepts the offer, not because she really wants to be in show business, but because she's in desperate need of money. So that opening scene takes place in November 1961. How she got to that point is the subject of the first half of the book. In other words, we flash back. We skip back to January of 1952 and then follow her career and relationships from that point forward. Elizabeth is a very talented research chemist, but this is the 1950s, and her education and career advancement are subject to real and pervasive sexism, all of which is shown in concrete terms throughout the book. She hangs in the best she can, working at the Hastings Research Institute, where she meets Calvin Evans, a world-renowned chemist. Mm -hmm. They fall in love and have lots of great sex and lots of great scientific discussions. He also At the same time? I think some of them. Okay. (laughs) 
That's right. Talk about chemistry. Yeah, well, there, there's the there's the title. He also introduces her to his athletic passion, competitive rowing, which becomes one of her passions. What they don't do is get married. They live together. They love each other. They're true partners. But she refuses to marry him because she doesn't want to lose her name and her identity. Calvin doesn't really understand the sexist barriers that she's facing in her career, but he respects her as a scientist, and simply being associated with him allows her to keep working in that field for a while. Mm -hmm. Eventually, though, that all unravels and she's essentially unemployed. Which is where the TV show Supper at Six comes in as she's trying to get a more stable income. The second part of the book is about her struggles with, you know, the various short-sighted network nitwits as she's trying to present a show that fits what she's interested in using chemistry to cook great meals, and what she knows her audience of homemakers wants, which is to be treated seriously and with respect. And of course, the big story question, will she ever get to return to her real passion, research chemistry? Read the book and find out. I think it's fair to say we both really like this book, but let's break it down by our five review areas. Yeah, so the first... uh area that we look at is grip and grab. Mm-hmm. Um, so what was your take on that? Yeah, this book caught my interest and held it. Uh, what's going to happen with the TV show? How is she going to get her research career going again? And, and of course, how is she going to manage the sexism she's constantly facing? All of that is gripping. And then she's got the theme about rowing. I found that interesting, too. Um, there was one plot line that didn't work for me as well. This was the whole Dickensian thing about this mysterious angel in the background that's, you know, pumping money into her research interests and how is she connected to that. But no spoilers. No spoilers, but this is a theme that starts pretty early in the book, so I think we can talk about it. That didn't work quite as well for me, but definitely this book had grip and grab. I gave it a four. So for me, grip and grab was immediate. She had me at early reader. Um, I was an early reader. I read an entire novel, Watership Down, at the age of five. And um, for, oh, there's an early reader in this book. That's right. Yeah, her her daughter. Um, so I I I I loved it immediately, and I was pulled in, and it held my attention. I read it in just a couple of days. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. And I gave this a five, grip and grab. So what about She Got Flair? What's the ne- what, is, what was your take on the next? So She Got Flair is our category for writing style, and I really liked her style. I thought she was witty. I'm talking about Bonnie Garmus, the author, and she knows how to write sentences and paragraphs. So I'll give you one example of wit, but there's many in the book. She's not going to hold off on that um, and make you wait for one little witty aphorism every chapter. So here's just one of many talking about how bridesmaids' dresses are designed to be unappealing. Uh, Here's the quote. Calvin thought about the people who designed these bridesmaid dresses, how like bomb manufacturers or pornography stores, (laughs) stars, not stores, they had to remain vague about the way they made their livings. (laughs) That's a good one. She's also, she just knows how to write. She's got, she knows how to build a sentence and build a paragraph. I'll read a, a paragraph that just shows how she constructs sentences. She only ever seemed to bring out the worst in men. They either wanted to control her, touch her, dominate her, silence her, correct her, or tell her what to do. She didn't understand why they couldn't just treat her as a fellow human being, as a colleague, a friend, an equal, or even a stranger on the street, someone to whom one is automatically respectful until you find they've buried a bunch of bodies in the backyard. (laughs) So it's just really well structured and it's got that little flair at the end. 
Yeah. What did you think about this category? I, I thought this was great. There were a lot of examples, a couple of them. My first big laugh in the book was, it was close to the beginning um, where Walter Pine says, the lunch, as he took in the woman who stood resplendent before him, her white lab coat casting an aura of holy light, save for one detail, <laughs> the initials EZ emblazoned in red just above the pocket. <laughs> yeah, just, um, I love that. The There's, whole book is filled with good writing like that it is it was it just really it's easy to read but not in a um in a simple way it, it was it's a joy to read this book mm-hmm. i gave this category a four what's our next category what did what did you do did you say um you? i gave it a four okay thank you so our next category is beam me up um and how is this world for you? How did you find this world? So Beam Me Up is our category for world building, uh, which you do even if you're writing about actual worlds. You still have to build it. And she did a great job with this. She clearly did the research. And I'm not just talking about one area. She had to research television in the 50s and 60s. And I felt like I was in that world. She had to uh, research corporate America, the sexism. What was the sexism like then as compared to now? Obviously, she had to do some scientific research, and that's her field as a technical writer. But I read she actually looked at the chemistry textbooks from that period to get the science right. So not only was it an interesting world to me, but it was built very well. Uh, The only tiny little comment I have is she kept talking about biogenesis, which was the research area of Elizabeth Zott. Didn't really say very much about that. That would have been interesting to get a little bit more into the weeds of her research, although that may not work for every reader. So I actually gave a five for Beam Me Up, which is rare for me. What about you? So I I also gave it a five. And I'll tell you that this this area of the sexism that professional women mm-hmm. go through, um, it certainly isn't over. It's more hidden mm-hmm. now. And the only way that it's tolerable to read about it is to is to read about it with someone like Elizabeth Sott who has some flair and who's, who pushes back on it and who mm-hmm. gives us all some hope. Um, if it, you know, I know this is fiction, but if there weren't women who did push back on it back in the 50s and 60s, I wouldn't be able to be where I am now. And, and our, and, you know, our daughters wouldn't be able to be where they are now. So I, I just, it gave me hope at the same time that I understood and recognized this world. So you recognize the sexism, even though she's talking about late 50s, early 60s, it still rang true for you. Absolutely. What was your rating for this category? I gave it a five. Good scores. What's next? The next one is New Best Friends, how you experience the characters and um, did you connect with them? Did they resonate for you? What did you think? The characters are good. The the main character is Elizabeth Zott, and she is very compelling. Um, You can't help cheering at the way she stands up to all the assholes. (laughs) I mean, that was probably, that's the centerpiece of the book. I will point out that she can almost become dislikable. Like she's very, very, very confident of herself, but also a little bit detached from reality, which is maybe where her self-confidence comes from. Uh, there's one, I'll just give you one example. Uh, the, the dog's name is 630, which is quite unusual. Named after what? I forget the, t- the time they brought him into the house or something. That's what the dog thought. Yeah. So the dog's <laughs> name is 630. And somebody later in the book asks Elizabeth Sop, 
What does that name, name mean? And she then supplied, this is from the book, a detailed description of the Babylonians who had relied on a sexagesimal system, counting by 60s, she explained, for both mathematics and astronomy. So hopefully that should clear that up, she said. <laughs> so that's either funny or it's like you're being a little annoying now. So I was on the edge with her a couple of times of being annoying. I also wanted to mention the dog 630. Okay, another character that either works for you or doesn't. It worked for me. For me, a little too cutesy. Okay, also, like, like portrayed the dog on a way that I would call magical realism, a little bit beyond reality, which to me didn't fit with the rest of the tone of the book. The, in other words, the book is smarter than dogs, actually. It has a richer inner life and so on. So I gave the characters a four, which is still a high score. I like the characters. Well, I I gave this a five. I love these okay. characters so much, and I um, I appreciated their struggle. I felt like I really understood them. Like even now, I get emotional mm. thinking about them. Um, I did something with this book that I used to do when I was a kid. When I was a kid, five years old, reading yeah. Watership Down, and I would like I would get to the very end, and I would just start on page one again. Oh, okay. And I did that with this book because I didn't want to let go of the characters in the world, including the dog Six Thirty, who I absolutely adored. Okay. And as you know, our dog Finn accompanies us everywhere. He's asleep on the floor right here, mm -hmm. and I think he probably has a rich in our life. You as think well. he's got a thousand? Would she say a thousand word vocabulary by the end of the book? Well, she, I mean, she worked at that more than I do. <laughs> 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 so I don't know if Finn has a thousand words vocabulary, but I didn't. It didn't bother me. I understand what you're saying about there's a bit of a stretch in taking the dog's point of view at certain places and how he hitched a ride and so forth. Yeah. But I, 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 it didn't bother me because I just, I, I just loved every so bit you, of it. You definitely made some new best friends from this book, which is what great fiction does. It makes us feel like we met somebody new and we were, our life is richer and you want to go right back to them. I do. I so gave it a five. You're going to have to turn on the TV show, I guess, when it comes <laughs> out. What's our last category? Last category is all the feels. What was your yeah. emotional reaction and connection? To so... I gave it a four, and I want to play an audio example here. The um, This is an important book, okay? It's about the sexism that career women face, uh, particularly a woman in a technical field. And I feel like we still need to hear that. Absolutely. You know, I've been thinking about gender since the late 80s, early 90s, and I've seen these waves come and go. And sometimes when we're in a trough of understanding, it feels like people don't even understand how bad things used to be and why women had to fight against it. And she's very powerful about this. The sexism that Elizabeth Zott faces is not toned down. Correct. It, it's rough. Yes. And it, it taught me something about what that must have been like. And it is inspiring to, you know, to see how people fight back against that. So I wanted to play an audio example. This is from her TV show, and, and it's an example of how um, she supports other women, not just as homemakers. A very detailed diagnosis, Mrs. Phyllis, Elizabeth said. What kind of medicine do you practice? Oh, the woman stumbled. No, I'm not a doctor. I'm just a housewife. There isn't a woman in the world who is just a housewife, Elizabeth said. What else do you do? Nothing. A few hobbies. I like to read medical journals. Interesting. What else? Sewing. Clothes. Bodies. 
Wound closures. Yes, I have five boys. They're always tearing holes in themselves. And when you were their age, you envisioned yourself becoming a loving wife and mother. No, seriously. An open heart surgeon, the woman said before she could stop herself. The room filled with a thick silence, the weight of her ridiculous dream hanging like two wet laundry on a windless day. Open heart surgery. For a moment it seemed as if the entire world was waiting for the laughter that should follow, but then from one end of the audience came a single unexpected clap, immediately followed by another, and then another, and then ten more, and then twenty more, and soon everyone in the audience was on their feet and someone called out, Dr. Phyllis, heart surgeon. So, I love that line, sewing clothes? No, bodies. That's really the heart of the book there. She's talking to an audience member, taking questions at the end of her cooking show. And you had a really emotional reaction to that scene just now. I did. I started um, tearing up. And I just, like, what she created in that scene was women being able to come together and Mm -hmm. someone being able to share a dream that she had. Mm -hmm. She brought it out of her and, and, you know, before she could stop herself, she said, open heart surgeon. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I, um, that's what we need to do as, as women. We need to, we need to protect and support each other's dreams, no matter how crazy I wanted to be a trial lawyer. And here I am. Yeah, it's a powerful book. I, I gave it a four for all the feels. The only reason I didn't give it a five was the, the stylistic mishmash, you know, the magical realism of the dog, the Dickensian theme of the the hidden angel. It did sort of take away the overall power of the book for me, but still, really good book, really, really powerful. Yeah. So for all the feels, I gave it a 4.5. I think that, you know, endings are hard, and mm-hmm. um, it didn't turn into a series, or at least not that we know of. Um, so it... It kind of the way that it came together at the end didn't didn't quite it wasn't it didn't seem quite at the same level as the rest okay. of it for me that's the only reason I didn't give it a five you gave it a 4.5 so what's the overall the overall is 4.45 right between a four and a five that's a very high rating for the two of us yes so we get that by taking all 10 of our numbers and averaging and 4.45 that's our highest rating of the year for any of the books we've looked at also, by the way, the first time we're in accord with the online ratings, <laughs> we're like know. right in there. At Amazon, she's averaging 4.6. At Goodreads, 4.36. I think it's fair to say this one should be read and regifted. Okay, I agree on that. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us on Bestseller. I hope to see you next week when we will be reviewing I Will Find You by Harlan Coben. And you can find us at brianandbarber.com and on Goodreads, where we have two accounts, Brian Luke and Barbara Luke. See you next week. Until then, keep dreaming, keep flying, keep laughing, keep crying. And don't stop until you've read them all. <laughs>